agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jay. So it has been a long day. We are recording Friday afternoon. Jay has spent a long day defending justice or moneyed interest or something. Anyway, I'm sure he's been fighting yes, the good yes. fight. Uh, well, like like uh, like Sal Paradise, I have been uh, on the road. There, there you uh, go. <laughs> for the better part of the last couple last couple days, but I have been I'm here now. I, I have not been sitting back on the couch eating bonbons. It's final grading season, and I finally—I actually turned in my grades. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a break. And I should also mention to listeners that we are getting ready to take our Christmas, New Year's break. We do that every year, so our next regular show will be on either Wednesday the 28th or Thursday the 29th, and then uh, we'll be back to our regular schedule on January 7th with uh, Jay and me doing uh, doing a show then. So a little bit of time off for the holidays. Congress is taking the time off, and, and I guess Donald Trump's a lot of NFTs, so he's taking some time off, you know, and uh, yeah, anyway. So that's our schedule. If you're wondering, where's the show over guess, the holidays? That's what I'm getting you for Christmas, Mike. Oh, I can't wait. What a <laughs> fantastic gift. Anyway, all right. So we, we have a lot to talk about uh, today, though. The fiscal year 2023 budget's almost there. Uh, some stuff about TikTok and FTX and crypto and campaign finance violations and maybe even some stuff about the death penalty. Oregon's governor on the way out commuted a bunch of death sentences. So we'll see how much we can get to. And uh, yeah, we'll get started right after this. All right, Jay. So, you know, we're still, of course, in 2022, but fiscal year 2023 for the federal government actually started back on October 1st, which it's done every year since 1974. Uh, Prior to that, it started on July 1st. And I don't know if, if, if anyone's ever wondered why. Well, it's because businesses regularly have fiscal years that they align with their sort of natural cycles. Like, for instance, I'm in education, and so it's really common for the fiscal year to end on June 30th because, you know, most students aren't in school over the summer, things kind of slow down, that sort of thing. And the reason why the federal government changed from July 1st to October 1st was to give new members of Congress a little bit more time to sort of get acclimated so that they could more kind of fully participate in the budget process, which really starts at the beginning of the year. It takes a while to put the whole thing together. But, you know, it's almost routine, I think, at this point for Congress to not meet any of those deadlines. October 1st has come and gone. Um, Though that really is less common when one party controls both chambers and the presidency is, you know, the Democrats just barely do now. Um, And when that does happen, though, Congress passes one or more continuing resolutions, which essentially freeze in place current levels of spending until a specified date, uh, at which point they hope they'll be able to figure out something by that date. And if not, well, they can always just pass another CR. And back on September 30th, 
Congress passed a CR that was set to expire on December 16th. That's today. And this week, the House and Senate budgets negotiators came to an agreement on a basic framework for the next year's or this year's budget now. Uh, but they needed more time to iron out the details. So they approved another CR that moves the deadline back to December 23. That, of course, is Festivus for those of you who celebrate that holiday as I do. Anyway. And, you know, this has caused some tension, actually, on the Republican side between House and Senate Republican leaders. Uh, Kevin McCarthy on the House side is urging Republican senators to not support the agreement, at least publicly. Uh, And he told uh, Sean Hannity last week, I think, or earlier this week, sorry, why would you ever move forward when there's a change in power in 21 days where Republicans would have a stronger hand? We wouldn't be talking about adding more money. We'd talk about decreasing. And to pass the budget, they'll need 10 Republican senators to actually agree to halt the inevitable filibuster, though, of course, final passage will only require all 50 Senate Democrats along with Vice President Harris. So, Jay, I'm wondering what you think about this kind of McConnell being willing to go go along, basically, and, and kind of get those 10 votes as opposed to McCarthy making what I think a lot of folks on the right seem to be would seem to be a pretty reasonable argument. Yeah. And, and you and I had this um, talk a little while ago about do we expect a, you know, a spending blowout kind of thing, lame duck spending blowout. And I said, of course we do. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I would be of the McCarthy persuasion on this. Let's hold the line. Um, uh, I think it's it's. It's tough for uh, Republicans to to then take the, hey, now we've got a, a you know, especially Senate Republicans to, to stick out, stick their necks out uh, after not having uh, really gotten what they wanted, and sort of have this this message be out there, right? I mean, to me, that's that's the biggest um, uh, populist uh, arguments that it's typically made about against your mainstream. Republicans, and I would I would put Mitch McConnell squarely in the mainstream Republicans, um, is that, and this is sort of the Trump argument that they're just not tough enough, right? That they just roll over, they're just uh, you know that sort of thing. Um, you mean as opposed to those Trump that budgets this, that were so incredibly disciplined, where spending got oh wait a second actually that, well yeah <laughs> no no fair enough um, but but um, uh, so yeah I, I think there's an argument there I I think we we end up with a, a budget I think McCarthy also has to do this in order just to firm up his right flank going there you into go. this yeah. speakership election, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure happens. Right. I, th- I think that that works out. Um, but you've got to go through this dance first that he's being tougher than McConnell. Um, and maybe you get some concessions. Uh, and McConnell says, listen, if you need the Republicans to do this, here's, you know, here's where it needs to, here's what we need to get. And, um, it's less of a, a spending blowout than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, about being Republicans, at least modern Republicans, are fine with spending blowouts, Jay. I mean, you need to get with the program, yeah. I think. Well, I know. I'm like, I'm one of the last old, yeah, the bunch dinosaurs of here, yeah. people in existence. Yeah. But, but you know, um, I, think, I think you're right. Clearly, McCarthy needs to shore up that right flank. But, but also, I think he just would rather not have to try to pass a budget at all. Just let the other side do it. I mean, it's just trying to manage his caucus is going to be incredibly difficult. Yeah. And, and, you know, really, there are only two things that Kevin McCarthy really has to do. 
and that is to pass a budget, at least he'll not do it this year, but maybe next year, and to figure right. out something about the debt ceiling. Those are the only two. The rest of the time, they could they could they could do whatever they want with Hunter Biden's laptop CR and, and the whole thing you know, for, until the cows come home. Yes, but but those are the two things that he has to do, and I don't think he wants to do them. And honestly, I don't blame him, given the caucus he has to work with. Yeah. So no, I I, I think I think we're in agreement on that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I but I, I don't think there's anything wrong at all in, in telling the party that's you know again at this point still ostensibly governing. Um, okay, you know you pass it. Uh, so yeah, except except that Mitch McConnell is saying okay, and we'll help you. Yeah, <laughs> and so you know that's yeah. Which, but, but, which again, yeah. a lot of people again are puzzled and would call preemptive surrender. Uh, that uh, yeah. But, but it's almost like Mitch McConnell cares about the government functioning at some level, where I think there are plenty of Freedom Caucus does, folks yeah. who, you know, don't yeah. see that as necessarily being a priority if you can own the libs. So there's, there's yeah. that. But, you know, if we look at the framework itself, and I think that's going to be fairly close to what the final deal is, we see defense spending around 10 percent higher than it was in fiscal year 22, this last year. And Democrats had been pushing for basically an, a roughly an equal increase in non-defense spending. Uh, and uh, that isn't quite going to happen, but it's going to be it looks like somewhere around 8% or so. So, I mean, everyone gets a little bit of something, I suppose. And that's generally how these budget negotiations go. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, uh, it, it does keep going in that direction. It's going to end up being more spending than what I would like, uh, probably less spending than what you would like, uh, period. Uh, in terms of the military spending, I, I do think that's a, a good investment in that uh we've we have been sending a lot of our stuff uh to ukraine uh and uh we need to we need to make more of it <laughs> right i mean that's just part of a um and i think uh again as as a conservative the the area that i would tend to to believe in that you know is is appropriate for government spending would be military and defense um just on on the basis of uh you know let's look at what what is it that that one people can't do for themselves on their own Two, what can't uh, you know, local governments uh, do for people Two, what can't States do. And then finally to me, the fallback is the federal government on these things. So um, to me, uh, and I think to most conservatives, uh, even the, the ones uh, in, in uh, Congress today um, view, view defense as, as a, an absolute core function. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's certainly a core function for all those defense contractors that very cleverly uh, aligned themselves and, you know, in almost every congressional district. And I should point out in that uh, NDA, uh, NDA, National Defense Authorization Act, uh, that 800 and uh, what is it, 58 billion, I think, give or take, uh, you know, that's uh, around a 10 percent increase. That includes a 4.6 percent raise increase for military personnel. And that's the largest they've seen in 20 years. Of course, that doesn't come close to, you know, keeping up with what inflation has right. been. And to me, it's always the troops that get uh, kind of the, the, the raw deal 
on this, whereas, you know, the fancy equipment and that sort of thing, well, that's that's the sort of thing because we got to take care of McDonnell Douglas and Boeing before we take care of, you know, some Lance Corporal somewhere who's putting his life I, on the I line. I am all for supporting the troops, Mike. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, I would love to see, in fact, uh, a COLA, cost of living increase, that's actually built into military pay the same way it's built into retiree, retiree pay, though I don't see that happening anytime, real ever, really, basically, because, you know, that Troops aren't as important as defense contractors if you're a member I'd, of Congress. I'd, I'd introduce that bill. I'd, I'd, I'd be a co-sponsor. Right? There you go. But, so, you know, I mean. You know, one other thing that's gotten a lot of uh, discussion, at least in the last day or so, about this uh, NDAA is the vaccine mandate removal. That was uh, part of it, right? Because essentially yeah. a lot of folks on the right were saying, we will not support this unless you kind of hold your nose, Democrats, and go along with it. And that's what ended up happening. You know, and there were some folks like, for instance, Senator Blackburn from Tennessee saying, well, service members should be focused on bolstering our national defense, not political mandates, so that kind of stuff. And, but, you know, it's curious to me, Jay, that, okay, so there's no longer a mandate for COVID, but let's see, there's a mandate for the flu, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, tetanus, and I'm thinking, well, gee, that sure seems political. Uh, So what do you what do you think about the removing of the mandate? Well, I would say the other stuff doesn't seem political, right? Um, In in, for for a couple reasons. One, uh, those are vaccines that we've had around for years for forever and ever and ever. Uh, everyone is, um, I shouldn't say everyone, I, w- I would say most everyone is comfortable uh, getting those vaccines. There's no concern about, well, it hasn't been tested enough, hasn't, you know, the, you know that, well, that let, sort of let, let me answer that point before you go on to your next one. And now I could see a, a year or two ago making that argument, but the FDA fully approved the Pfizer vaccine back in August of 2021. So it's been more than a year. Yeah. And the Moderna vaccine in January of 2022. So it's been almost a year. So that's a, yeah, and especially, I would argue, if anyone's I mean, in, in going to be. In comparison to say these other ones have been around, been used for 50 years. But when do we, well, except the flu vaccine is different every year. There's variants. So when, yeah. who gets to decide? Well, well I do because well, I saw a video on YouTube. I mean, no, that's the FDA. Is the one yeah, who decides you, you, when. I mean, you you do because because and also uh, your body, your choice. Well, there's a difference between me as private citizen and me as say a marine or an airman or, or or a seaman or something like that. That's a whole different thing. If anyone should be required, it should be those folks because not getting vaccinated actually is a problem, a potential problem with military readiness. And so for all these Republican hypocrites who say, oh, my God, I love the military. I love defense. I call BS. Okay. I, I guess you can call BS on that a bit. Uh, to me, it's it's uh, um, and I've look, I've said this before, right? I'm vac- double vaccinated, boosted the boosted the hell out of me. Um, you know, I'm I, um, I'm I'm brimming with uh, <laughs> anti COVID vaccine. Um, but at the same time, and, and I do I think it's uh, safe and effective. Well, as far as I know, I haven't you know turned into a werewolf yet. Um, but um, uh, I I I respect the the sense of the folks who uh, one say uh, it hasn't been tested enough. Now, again, you can say the FDA um, you know process should be fine, and I I again I'm I'm on board with that. Um, 
Uh, the other argument, there is a religious objection conscience uh, argument in that the extent that the uh, mRNA vaccines are made using fetal stem cells, uh, there are people who have religious objection to that. Um, and, and I think that's that's something that, that ought to be respected by the military or employers uh, wherever, right? So I think that's a different, a uh, little bit of a different issue, This, but... Um, you, you don't think that, I mean, it's one thing to say you could wear a certain item of clothing like, a you know, of religious significance or something, but it's a little bit different when you decline, uh, refuse, sorry, to do things that actually could affect military readiness. I mean, it's no, no one's going to say that, that, uh, uh, you know, an item of clothing or you know, something like that is, is going yeah. to be an issue. Even a beard, you can argue maybe not so much, but, uh. But not getting a vaccine for a contagious disease that, if not sure, not generally deadly for healthy young people, but certainly can affect readiness. And I'm somebody, you know, I'm not young anymore, but I'm relatively healthy. And when I got COVID, I know it knocked me down for a day or two and wasn't a big deal because I could just push back some assignments. But, you know, if I'm actually in some position defending the country in some way, that's a little bit more of a big deal, actually. Yeah. Well, how would how would you respond to, say, someone who has had COVID recently uh, and say, look, I, I just had it. I just just got over it. Um, I have a religious objection uh, to, to the vaccine. Uh, I don't want to get it. And I would say, well, we can give you a we can then, give then you a then you're, you would say then don't join the military. Exactly. Then, OK, I guess that's that's one answer. There so. are so many freedoms that people in the military give up. And this is just an, I, if you're a private citizen, I think that's a whole different case. But in the military, no, I this to me is an easy call. And I think the Republicans who put this insisted on this held the held the defense budget hostage because of this are playing the worst sort of dangerous, destructive politics? Well, I, I would say I think it's it is uh, to some extent Republican uh, virtue signal. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Right. I would put it more in that category um, simply because I don't I don't know how much of a real world effect this is going to have. Um, how many I don't know that we have numbers on this sort of thing of, of how many military personnel. Well, because there was a mandate unvaccinated or are, yeah. refused to vaccinate. But, but my sense is that's not going to be a significant number. Um, uh, going forward, so I don't know. That's, where, that's, uh, yeah, that's what I mean, why I, th- I see it more as, look, you, you can criticize it, I think, as sort of empty virtue signaling. Um, and I think that's a fair criticism. Um, well, let's hope it's. But I'm, I'm not I'm not sure how much it, it really would affect military read- readiness. Well, let's let's hope it's empty for it's, signaling. I'll say. Yeah, so, yeah. all right. Well, let's move on to something. Well, very different, actually. I think maybe it's virtue signaling. I don't know of a different sort. Uh, anyway, but you know, several state governments now are banning the use of the Chinese-owned video app TikTok on their state government-issued devices and networks. In fact, this week. Alabama and Utah became the latest states to do so, and they join a bunch of other states. Let's see, both the Dakotas, uh, Nebraska, Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, Maryland, Tennessee, South Carolina, Alabama, and of course, this list would not be complete without Florida. Um, you know, the state of Indiana, they haven't banned the service, but they this week they became the first state to sue TikTok 
they're alleging that the service has deceived users about access that the Chinese government has to uh, user data that's in violation of Indiana state privacy laws and that it's exposed kids to inappropriate content. And all of this follows warnings, repeated warnings from FBI, FBI Director Christopher Wray, who in late November, he told the House Homeland Security Committee that the Bureau had significant national security concerns about TikTok. He said that these concerns included the possibility that the Chinese government could use it to control data collection on millions of users or control the recommendation algorithm, which could be used for influence operations if they so chose, or to control software on millions of devices, which gives it an opportunity to potentially technically compromise personal devices. And ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok, for a while now, they've been saying that they store U.S. user data within the United States, and so they would not be compelled to turn over user data as Chinese law requires upon request. Unless the Chinese ask for it. (laughs) There's that, yeah. And I should point out, this week, uh, Florida Republican uh, Senator Marco Rubio introduced legislation that would ban TikTok from operating in the United States and companion legislation was introduced in the House by Wisconsin Republican Mike Gallagher and Illinois Democrat uh, Raja Krishna, Krishna Hurthy. And it has a great name. I love the act. Uh, it is, uh, you have it there, you have it there in front of you. I do. I watch the Anti-Social CCP Act. Yes. Which, uh, Averting the national threat I, of I internet surveillance, that, oppressive censorship for. and influence, and algorithmic learning by the Chinese Communist Party Act. Is this, Jay, a new low? in ridiculous bill naming i think it is i think, I think I, it is. we have a winner um, I, think, I think yeah so as much as i as much as i sort of well a couple thoughts on on um one on the uh, state bans and even on a federal government ban on federal government devices uh i think that's that's smart and warranted um uh, I, I i see no issue with that uh rubio doing a broader um ban it in the united states i'm i'm less crazy about that um, uh, just because again, it's, it's almost the, the same argument we just went through with the, the military. You can say, listen, if you are working for the government, it's a government device and you could have government information. Um, obviously, uh, that, uh, that could compromise you, uh, and could compromise the, the national security or just the, the, you know, functioning, right. Just, the, you know, allows the potential monkey wrenches and, in, in, in you know, whatever the department of agriculture or, or wherever. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, less so if, if individuals want to use a, uh, a, uh, an app that, that, uh, what's the, you know, data be shared with the, the Chinese government, uh, allegedly, um, I suppose they can, right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. Just, I, I, I just, I also, I'm, I'm just generally hesitant to the, the idea of Congress getting into banning this app or that app i you know i'm i'm actually okay with it because i think there are a lot of parallels because we're talking about a potentially communicable thing right that's highly a virus or it could be inserted in a very real sense that could threaten national security and i think anyone who believes that the chinese government puts pressure on ByteDance that they would not release whatever the chinese government wanted in a second no i think i think they absolutely would yeah no but i i guess my my objection is to um as I understand it, a, a broad federal prohibition on on one particular app. I, I just I don't like the again. You under you, you always accuse me of being concerned about slippery slopes, and that would be one of them. 
Well, I, I, I'm, even I'm if a, it is, even if it is sticking it to the uh, Chinese communists, yeah, which I, I usually like there you get. go. I, I am okay with it in in this instance because I think it could be averted if, for instance, ByteDance, you know, sold off the company. Now, obviously, they don't want to do that. It's it's very popular, something like eighty million monthly active users in the U.S. But some sort of arrangement where there's absolutely no connection between the technical side and maybe any profits. And there are ways that that could be arranged, certainly. And I kind of hope that that's the, that's the eventual outcome of this. But, uh, but I, yeah, I, I think it's a big problem. You know, back in 2020, people might, might recall President Trump actually tried to do something very much like this. He signed an executive order invoking his uh, National Emergencies Act authority to ban any transaction transactions with ByteDance, so that would have banned TikTok, basically. That was overturned in federal courts as being outside of his authority. Donald Trump surely was used to that by, by that I, point. And I, I think that, and I think that's the correct yeah. decision. And I think but, we yeah. talked about that at the time, but it's it's I think it's well within Congress's authority, certainly, to do this. And I think it's I think it's a reasonable concern given all the issues that the FBI has raised about it, and this is this is legislation that I would be certainly inclined to support. Huh? And but you not so much. So yeah, I stand well, with I, Marco I'm, Rubio. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you Marco Rubio and the anti-social CCP Act. Um, what a world! No, I, I'm I'm not I'm not. Uh, again, I'm I'm very sympathetic to to the cause and what's what he's trying to accomplish. Um, uh, what I'm what I'm less again just less thrilled about is the uh government saying uh stepping in and saying what products you can or can't can't buy well i think that yeah i see what you're saying but i think the slope slope stops with uh, you you end the slope at saying well anything anything that the chinese the chinese government can use to conduct uh, cyber warfare on the United States. I'm okay yeah, with no, that. You know, that would be, that would be a good place to, yeah, stop the slippery slope. So yeah. I, I am okay so. for that. You know, and, and I think it's, it's part and parcel of the much tougher line that the Biden administration has taken against the Chinese government in, in the technological area. And so I, I just see this as part of a larger package of things. And, and I certainly hope that I don't actually think it's okay. going to go anywhere in Congress, but I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. So. I think let's put it this way. I even if even if I may or may not love the the bill itself, I would very much welcome the debate and the discussion. On it yeah. And just shining a shining a light on this issue, because I think that's that's, uh, you know, almost as important as uh, as a prohibition. And and maybe this is just a way to get to get uh, bite dance to truly sever their any sort of technological relationship yeah. with TikTok and that. That would be, I think that would be the best outcome as opposed to some sort of, you know, very broad legislative sort of thing. Right. So. Right. Or, but again, it's still, it's still to me, I think there's, there's still just the, if you have it installed on your machine and it's such that, you know, uh, uh, Chairman G can switch a button and, uh, which he apparently did with my other computer. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's. These are these are yeah legitimate concerns, and I, I agree with you. It's certainly within Congress's power to act. So, well, let's just take a quick break, and then we will come right back and talk about uh, some other technological, uh, well, weird technological stuff. Not weird, I guess. I'm I'm an old person, and so crypto is weird to me. I know, but anyway, I'm so glad I didn't invest and I didn't listen to Matt Damon and Larry yeah. David. But anyway, we'll get to that in just one second. 
Okay, Jay. So this week, Sam Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder and former CEO of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX, was charged in an eight-count federal indictment for wire fraud, money laundering, and campaign finance violations. Now, the the thirty-year-old Bankman-Fried was taken into custody. Sorry, I I refuse to call him SBF. I just it makes me want to sort of throw up a little, so I won't do that anyway. He was taken into custody this week by Bahamian authorities. Uh, He's kind of a, I think, a golden boy of the kind of new emerging crypto industry, as well as a major donor to the Democratic Party. And it's pretty impressive how quickly his fortunes literally have risen and fallen, uh, particularly the fall. What the hell were we doing when we were 30? uh, Not that for sure. Anyway, although although I'll I'll admit I, I had not heard of him before this. You know, the FTX. You were not in the know. That's the problem, you know. That, but, that shows, uh, yeah. And they filed for bankruptcy last month, and now the firm's under investigation by, well, a whole bunch of agencies. There's the SEC, the CFTC, the DOJ. There's probably a few I don't even know about, but they're being thoroughly investigated. Um, and both the House and the Senate have started hearings focused on FTX's collapse, though. At this point, we haven't seen any specific legislative proposals. I wouldn't be surprised if something comes out of that. And I don't even know if it's clear that what we know about the fall of FTX necessarily says all that much about the broader crypto industry in general, aside from maybe a general rule that if you invest in new industries, you're taking some pretty significant risks. And so, you know, when Matt Damon's giving you financial advice, that's literally fortune favors the brave. Maybe you need to kind of step back and think uh think twice about doing that but but anyway well what's your take on all this jay so um no i'm uh as you might expect an old school uh investor in in, in things so i uh i was not involved uh, heavily in in crypto or ftx or anything like that um but you you make sort of a, a good point that to, to the extent i understand what all he's being charged with and what has been alleged it's not really any kind of weird techno crypto thing. It's just old fashioned regular yeah. embezzlement. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, so I it's it's you know, crypto is just kind of the MacGuffin, if you will, yep. right? It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not yeah, it's it's plain old stealing stealing somebody else's money. Um, the fact that it was crypto versus uh, some other you know regular uh, you know U.S. greenbacks. Um, you know, there's there's nothing, yeah. You know, special or technical about this. Uh, I think it's it's more sort of like what what you you pointed out that um, when you have these types of um, burgeoning uh, industries now now in it, that, maybe not injury industry isn't the right word, but um, uh, investment fields, right? Uh, and if it seems too good, too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, there can, there's all sorts of these sort of bubbles, right. Where, um, you know, whether it's, it's, you know, Dutch tulips or something like that. Um, it was the, the, you know, big thing and everybody poured into it and everybody was doing it. And, um, uh, so. And there are always yeah, a few it, people who make uh, a minority of people who make yeah, a ton of money. First couple, yeah. you know, exactly. Yeah. I think that's sort of that that to me is the larger lesson. And then and then the the regulators, the market steps in in various ways and they make it less lucrative, but a lot 
safer. You know, there was a a, a Twitter exchange between like a, a, a crypto guy and, and someone who I guess was less of a crypto guy saying something like, well, you know, I, I was worried about my investment in XYZ crypto exchange. It was 12.15 a.m. and I was able to get up and transfer some funds. And two minutes later, everything was all done and I wasn't worried. And and uh, try that with the traditional finance industry. And the response was one guy's, well, you know, I don't really worry about my bank. So it's not even an issue. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think that that to me, so I guess really what's more of an issue, at least some people are making more of an issue, I think rightfully so, are the, are the political donations side of it. Because campaign finance violation, that's a big, certainly to, to me, a big part of yeah. this story. And uh, I mean, Sam, Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried was the, uh, let's see, he was the sixth largest donor in this 2021-2022 uh, campaign cycle. And, and, you know, and that's, that's a lot of money, uh, $36.8 million, all but 240 grand of it went to Democrats. Now, though he, this was, this is uh, the arrogance of- Yeah, he made know. Republican contributions, yeah, but well, yeah, I think it's a funny story. But, but yeah, then when he, when he said, and this is just weird, when he said to a, a reporter for, uh, I think, a tech journal uh, saying Repub uh, that he made just as much in dark money donations to Republicans, but then he said, Republicans freak the F out if you donate to a Republican, reporters do. Uh, they're, they're all secretly liberal, and I didn't want to have that fight, so- and he tells the tech journalist, <laughs> what did he think she was going to do with that? But but anyway, it, that that was kind of bizarre, I think. The point being, I think more generally that crypto has donated a ton of money, both to Democrats and Republicans. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that most big money donors donate in that strategic way. It's You can spread a lot of money around, you know, and... And, and, and that's how they typically do it. And that's what was done here. So th at least that's my take on the political donation side. I mean, it's not surprising to me that there are these allegations of all these violations, straw donors and things like that, because it's a system that's designed. Well, and be, when you're when you're moving that much money, yeah, it's it's difficult to to do it legally. Well, right? it, I mean, well just, it's difficult to do it directly yeah. to campaigns legally, but it's yeah. easy to spend a ton of dark money, a ton of uh, su supposedly unconnected money illegally. But everyone knows that this game is rigged. I mean, when you have, for instance, it's a common practice in, in Congress where uh, a, a top staffer for somebody will quit the office just a little bit before an election, all of a sudden just miraculously become the head of a super PAC that supports that candidate. Right. How did that happen? Right. I'm sure there's no coordination. Right. I mean, but of course, Congress designed this system because they, they don't want to shut the spigot off. And it is a, it is a deeply corrupting system. I, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you entirely on that. Um, but the weird thing to me, Jay, is that, I mean, there was this huge call by a lot of people on the right saying, oh my God, look at all the money that this guy donated to Democrats, and clearly this was protecting him for a while. And yet these are the same folks who don't want to reform campaign finance anyway. And so <laughs> it's, it's, it's a puzzler. Not really. Yeah, I, I, I suppose so. Um, my, my sense, and look, on campaign finance, I think we've talked about this. Okay. I'm, I'm very much a, uh, let's, you know, if you want to donate to a campaign, you can donate uh, donate as much as you want. But full disclosure, um, that would be my my preference. But we have that though. Um, I mean, that's the thing is you can spend. No, there's still 
there's there's still limits to what you well, let me give you an example george an actual let me give you an example campaign. george soros the top donor in the 2021-22 cycle he's a he's a total democrat donor he doesn't give anything to republicans his total contributions in this cycle 128.4 million dollars of that only 1.7 million was hard money, money that went right to campaigns. So, like, right, right, exactly. That's that's my point. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. That outside money, where's that going? Who's spending? I mean, it is that doesn't even count the dark money that they right. don't have donors associated. It is, it is just, and, and that's that's why I would, I would, I think again, there's no perfect answer, but my, I think the better answer is the reason that that that. It's that one percent going direct to campaigns is that you're limited in, in how you can donate to campaigns. So, and you know, they they max out on the on their campaign donation through the actual you know campaign committee, and then you go spend it somewhere else where with a, a super PAC uh, or an independent expenditure or, or wherever you do. Um, I, I'm I'm just I'm just saying, um, uh, make an honest uh, uh, you know let, let's be honest about it. But, but the problem is, is it's it's a system that can't change. Because the Supreme Court has clearly indicated, number one, that corporations are persons for the purposes of political speech and a lot of other purposes. That's a sure. whole other conversation. And that donating money or spending money on, you know, on ads or what advocacy is, is a form of speech. And so, therefore, you know, big swaths of, for instance, McCain-Feingold, the bipartisan legislation signed into law by a Republican president in 2002, you know, was unconstitutional. And uh, right. as long as that, and I, I, I said that I, I said that we didn't we're doing the show then, Mike, but I said that at the time. At, but I, as long um, as that is in place, it is going to be nearly impossible to reform system. The best proposal that I've seen is some variant of a of a real public option. A lot of people don't realize that presidential, the major party candidates for president do have the option of public financing. They can get, I believe, it's a little over a hundred million dollars or something like that. Uh, I think Ralph Nader was the last one to do that, right? Barack Obama was the first one to refuse it back in two thousand and eight. John McCain took it. Obama didn't, and since then, everyone hasn't taken it because, of course, now you need like a billion dollars or so to run for president, basically. Yeah. But my, yeah, and it limits your options to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, the best systems I've seen, the best idea I've seen is based on, it comes from Larry Lessig, who's a, a Harvard professor, which basically it works on, it's a, it's a voucher system, essentially, where, yeah. uh, and there are, vari there are variants of it, but essentially every registered voter gets, say, a 50 or or $100 voucher. They can distribute it to whatever campaigns that they want, and candidates don't have to take the money, but if they do take the money, then they can't raise or accept any other funding. And that gets around, that gets around, but that means it's not, no longer a constitutional issue because you're not. Because yeah, uh, they're making the choice. Exactly, not yeah. exactly. And so to me, that's the only thing that really would work or potentially work without amending the Constitution. But I don't, I don't see that as, as being very likely. So Ohio had had uh, that sort of system for a while, not not uh, as, as completely right, but they had there there was a uh, hundred dollar tax credit, um, a refundable tax credit if you donated to uh, state you know campaigns, um, and they did away with it I think uh, in the last last year or so. Um, well, and I uh, think which I think was well, too you know, bad, but 
I think that's maybe a step in the right direction. But but I the can problem buy influence for free just for a couple hundred bucks. But the problem is, is, is it's such a, I mean, it's multiple steps. You have to know about it. It's not a direct sort of thing. Whereas with just like a, a straightforward voucher program, then that creates a real incentive for candidates to actually reach out to regular people because they realize all of a sudden they can do the math and be like, wow, there's a lot of money just sitting around there doing nothing and that that becomes a very I'm, I'm less well I'm less crazy about the mechanics of that too though about about politicians reaching out but to I the public a, as opposed to no George yeah Soros. well yes and, and the but the voucher piece of of how do you uh how is that that voucher spent uh how does it where does it go um that sort of thing you mean like the here's my here's my example okay. if I if I were a horribly corrupt person uh, and seeking to re- corrupt that system, uh, there may well be people who receive uh, vouchers. Uh, and let's say the voucher is worth a hundred bucks for whatever candidate. Uh, and you know, you just all the, that person has to do is assign it to whatever campaign. Um, I come along and I say, uh, I would really appreciate uh, if you would support this candidate. Here's fifty bucks. Uh, why don't you assign your voucher um, to? Uh, to this candidate, uh, this committee. I mean, like, pay fifty dollars for a hundred dollar voucher. Yes, sure. I'm there. I mean, there's no, and that's. I mean, there's the problem with straw buyers or anything else. There's. I mean, that's. Yeah. It's it's impossible to. But the only other, if you take people out of it, then you have a public financing system, and I know that would make your head explode. No, no, no. But, but like, what I'm saying is, is the. Um, I no, I get what the, you're saying. Yeah, the, the, like the Ohio system before, the way it was is you would write the check first, right, and then you would check on your, you know, your your uh, tax form. I made a donation to X campaign, um, and it's can be cross checked with against the campaign, with against the bank, and all that. So there's there's some paper trail there. It's not just um, well, even with I mean, uh, even with straw like donations, that. there's still a problem where I mean, you could oh yeah be the same thing. So I yeah, mean, no, you could yeah, obviously you could you could somebody could pay me a hundred bucks and I could write the check for a hundred bucks, but it's still that. Um, what I'm saying is, I think that the write the check first system is better than here's the money. Where do you send it? System. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think of course it's, I'm, I knew, knew that's perfect, but I think my version is. Uh, less apt to corruption. The other one, I it you know, it I, took me all fifteen seconds to I, say, oh, yeah. geez. Well, 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 I think the problem with yeah. your system is it's less apt to actually get, get have anyone actually use it. Regular people certainly, because regular people, uh, most regular Americans are going to say, you know, I'm going to write this check for a hundred dollars, and then I know that at the end of the tax year, the government will reimburse me for that. I mean, there are people that that's that that's just not the kind of system that's going to get widespread. The sort of widespread buying from regular Americans that actually might give them more of a real voice in the process as opposed is, to the George Soros's of the world. Is it better? And, and part of the rationale behind that, that Ohio tax credit had always been, and I thought it was, it was a good one, um, was to get people invested, not just in the system, but invested in making political donations. I think that's, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, um, I do too. This is, this is going to sound, this is going to sound again, sort of, there's this sense of, you know, money in politics is, is somehow, uh, evil or, or corrupting. Um, no, it's the concentration but, of money that's corrupting. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think the the more if you can you can get people to say, uh, listen, you ought to invest in candidates uh, who, who you believe in. Absolutely. Um, 
But the problem, of course, uh, is that that's a good yeah. thing. Let's get more people investing. It's yeah. it's almost yeah. Everybody, uh, all about we need to have more people voting. I I would be all for we need to have more people contributing to the campaigns. Yeah, that's it. Because yeah. you're, you're you are at that point putting your money on the line a little bit. You've yeah, got some skin in the game. The, the problem, of course, is that the, of the inherent inequality, right? I mean, if you're, I mean, I could give, say, 50 bucks to a campaign and I'm not going to feel it. But I know plenty of people who could, 50 bucks would be a big deal, even if they knew they were going to get it back in, you know, uh, six months or a year. And so how do you equalize that and not make this a, a system of, yes, a, a free marketplace, free speech, but where I have a bigger microphone, I have louder speech than, you know, someone someone who's not as economically fortunate. And Elon Musk has a big and enormous microphone. That's that's a that's a tough problem. It It, it is, but it's also. um I guess I, I look, the New York Times has a bigger microphone than I do. Um, uh, if we're comparing microphones, um, but, but that's, that's, you know, the, to me, sometimes that those are, there are, there are inequalities in the world and I'm, I'm not sure uh, they all can be equalized. No, of course and, they can't, but, but when, when you try to, I, I think sometimes that, that breeds a whole lot more problems. But I think you would agree just saying, oh, well, that's how the world is. You know, women have always been in the house. We've always had slaves. I mean, you know, you can take that however you want, essentially. And that it becomes very much a, uh, an excuse for doing nothing. So I'm not, I'm not. Well, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm what you're saying is, is those are sort of specific policies versus I'm saying, look, some people have always had more money. Sure. Than yeah. Yeah. And you can't. Yeah. And, and it, it turns out it turns out it's, you know, it, it's better to be rich than there you go. Yeah. To be poor. I mean, most, you know, that again, that's All things being equal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that, that's that's what I'm saying. Um, I, I, yeah. So my other solution, this is my perennial solution that, again, I don't know that it ever, you know, much will come of it. But uh it, it, and I, I say this a lot of times, and people have heard me say it before. If you want to get money out of politics, get politics out of money. Um, if we had now, who's being a utopian? Had, oh my God, Jay! I know. Please. Well, no, I, I'm saying if the the ghost the, of Calvin the, Coolidge is smiling here at this point, at you, but I, I would hope so. I would <laughs> hope so. Um, the but you know the the increase in spending on political campaigns has mirrored and kind of marched lockstep with the. Uh, the growth of the regulatory state um, back in, you know, the 1940s, 1950s, which was still a pretty, pretty hefty regulatory state. Um, you didn't have this type of uh, the, the, the you didn't have uh, things turning on uh, who wins the presidency. Uh, uh, it was it was less of a big deal. And you would say, well, all right, look, um, yeah, one side might be nominally more pro-labor and the other more pro-business. Um, but there wasn't this sort of um, uh, sense, I think, of, of businesses saying, look, we got to be in the game. Uh, we got to be putting a lot of money in because we are so highly regulated. And the more, what I'm saying is the more regulation uh, there is, the, the more you need to spend. 
Well, yes, yes and no. Regulation's part of it, but also just providing basic services. I mean, we just passed a $858 billion defense budget, and I'm, I'm not imagining you're thinking that we need to cut down on that significantly, right? And I mean, we need significant regulation in things like safety and healthcare and all kinds of other areas. Sure. And you don't have to do too much adding before you have enough money in the pot where it's going to be worth almost anyone's time to try to corrupt the process for their own financial gains. That's just the nature of living in an advanced industrial economy. Well, I don't even know. I don't even know it's corrupt the process for the. So, I mean, going back to um, the, uh, 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 Bankman, um, yeah, that guy. What what it seems because uh, I won't say SPF yet. What what Thank it um, what it seems to me that he's doing, and this is what most people do, right? Is most people um, industry actors? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and this is this is something I learned early on. Is look, it's it's usually easier to pay protection money than to fund a revolution, um, and. So yeah, that that's and that's why you make the donations to both parties. Um, is is what they're they're not trying to, and in some cases there are obviously uh, you know, rent seekers who are trying to to buy particular favors. But usually, uh, again, in my experience, uh, when industries donate, it's just on the the sense of well, look, leave us the hell alone. Um, I, I don't know if you uh, looked at tax code lately, Jay, but I find that to be a, 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 a very difficult argument to swallow, given the probably what's now thousands of pages of cutouts, carve outs for various industries. I don't know. It's oh, not. No, no, I'm, I'm, not I'm not disputing you that, that, that there are the rent seeking and, and so forth that goes on. Uh, but uh, I would I would submit that uh, more of the money is is. Or there's there's more money spent not on trying to get those specific carve outs and more money in uh, just preventing um, uh, some, something unfavorable from coming down uh, coming down the pike. I, I get that. And it kind of comes from your basic distrust of government and belief that the market is better than government. And uh, I no, I, no, I'm, I'm saying this is this is based on my experience with actual political actors and industries. Sure. As a Republican, um, it's, working it's not, with Republicans. Well, yeah. I mean, no, and that's it's a big I'm difference a, because, I mean, that's I'm the Republican bubble you're in. Not, I'm saying I'm, whether or not I'm Republican or not, this is how they spend their money. Uh, but um, I'm saying it matters. Well, it matters in a real way because what they're going to be, what, of course, they're going to tell you, well, yes, we just want to be left alone and we're just worried about government, you know, imposing its heavy hand. They're not going to say, well, what we're really trying to do is we're not we're not really for competition. What we'd really like is just free money from the government. Of course, they're not going to say that to you, but that's their game. Oh, I, some some people do say that. Um <laughs> but some do, yeah, some what, do. That's that, that's that's my. I guess that's that's my my sense. And having worked uh, on on some of these issues, is what businesses want most. And maybe you'll think this is Pollyannish, or maybe I'm drinking the Kool Aid. Um, but it's it's not just political experience. It's it's you know the rest of my life as well. Um, businesses can live with predictability. Businesses can live with anything as long as it's predictable. Right, because they can always sure, just most anything. Yep, uh, yeah, pass sure. the cost on to to somebody else. Um, what what troubles them is the stuff that that is unpredictable that they don't see coming out of out of uh, left field uh, usually, um, and that's that's the reason, right? That that I I take this view that 
what most companies want is just that sure. no surprises yeah. piece. And I'm not, I'm not, to, it depends on the industry. To give us a special something or something. Yeah. yeah. And some industries are more apt and more uh, uh, able to get, you know, the, yeah. the special something, something. I would say in um, mature industries that have established a foothold and kind of got the sort of playing field more or less where they want it. They're just like, hey, just keep the rules the same and don't do anything for our competitors. Yeah. You wouldn't do for us. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I think there's I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think we're just kind of disagreeing uh, in, in terms of, of, of emphasis, really. I see it much more. Yeah. as and what, what I'm saying is the is the the my view is is. Uh, Less villainous than what yours is. I, I wouldn't know. I'd say I wouldn't call it villainous. I would just say they're just human beings, just naturally seeking advantage, taking advantage of a system that allows them to do that. I don't think it's. I don't think. I, in fact, I would be concerned if I were a shareholder and I found out. Well, you know, my uh, uh, the, the the company doesn't have a lobbyist in D.C. isn't pushing for special anything because it wouldn't be the right thing to do. So, <laughs> Hey, hey, buddy, get your butt down there and let's 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 get to work because your only duty as a company is to maximize shareholder value. Amen. So, yeah, yeah that's okay. uh, that. No, I that Yeah, that whole corporate social responsibility thing just makes me roll my eyes in so many ways. Oh, good. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, while I'm rolling my eyes, uh, why don't we, why don't we end today? We, we will, we'll get to in the midweek show, we'll talk about uh, death sentences and the death penalty and the Twitter files. I've been wanting to talk about that for a while. I was kind of hoping that, that that's such a tailor-made for Trey thing, but you know we'll we'll uh, we'll have to get to some of that. I think, given the crazy stuff Elon Musk is doing, that and uh, some other stuff as well. But before we go today, given the fact that we won't be doing a show until after Christmas, I thought it would be fun to end on sort of a different kind of recommendations. Uh, our Christmas music recommendations. And Jay, you are a very musical person. You have varied Damn. and high class musical taste. And so in part, I'm doing this just to kind of hear what you might recommend. Cause I'm looking forward to it. So, um, a lot of Christmas music, I, I bugs me and, and there's, we could have, we could do a whole show just on my thoughts on Christmas music and, uh, appropriate, not appropriate. And because I, I, I have a strong feelings about, I, uh, grew up in in church, uh, sort of an old school, traditional, mainstream Protestant. Um, I was exposed to a lot of that old hymn type uh, type music, uh, and also um, uh, works of people like uh, Handel, uh, Mendelssohn, um, uh, that that thing. So I I um, if I'm listening, to my favorite sort of Christmas carols, right, that are religious in nature. Um, uh, Joy to the World, again, Handel, I think anything from uh, the Messiah, uh, which wasn't obviously wasn't written specifically sure. yeah. as a Christmas piece, but but uh, you get you get the Halloween chorus and it's played a lot of Christmas. Um, I I like um, uh, again, this is this is sort of weird, weird picking favorite. Um, oh, Holy Night, um, just for the musicality of it. And there's this one, the one part. And this is just a weird thing that that I dig. It's you know where the um you hit the one high note and they hold that and then uh -huh. the, the harmony the whole chords move up underneath it. I I think that's that's cool. Um, yeah. it's not unique to that. Oh. That's all. Musically but, interesting. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, it can kind of give you chills it, it, at more, times. It's more. It's a, there's a little. There's what I'm saying. There's a little more going on 
yeah. in a holy is, and then a lot of uh, other other countries. Um, the other things that I kind of like, and this is going to sound weird, are there are are certain Christmas songs that have a a kind of melancholy, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that really works with me because I'm not a Christmas season kind of person. I'm not. Um, I tend not to be joyful. Uh, I'm more wistful. Um, but like, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Okay. Um, so you're not talking like Santa like, Claus goes straight to the ghetto or anything like that. You're yeah, like, no, no, no. All right. I'm, that's that's a that's a great James that's Brown kind song. Of in, a, in a weird way, it's it's in a, in a it's a major key and all this stuff, but it's a very sad kind of dark song. Hmm. Um, right. I hadn't thought about I, it that at least way. I've always I've always found it that way. Um, the other one would be White Christmas, uh, which again, if I'm I'm talking musically, and I'm not the first person to to say this, someone else pointed this out to me. Um, but again, it's, it's sort of, there's, there's a sadness about it. Are you right? thinking like Bing of, Crosby or what yeah. you're kind of yeah. Um, but, but no, it, it's, it's one of those, it sounds like it's sort of a, sort of a happy, hopeful song, but it really it's, um, again, there's, there's a darkness to it. And there's this, this one chord, um, towards the end, uh, and I'm not going to sing the whole, whole piece, but. Um, it's where, where, um, there's, there's what's called a, a, uh, the cadence goes from, it's a four and then it goes to a minor and it's four and it's just for a second, but it's a, um, yeah, it's this weird touch of, of darkness kind of in it. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'll have to listen for that. So that's, that's, again, I'm a, I'm a, gosh, I have, I have the piano behind me, Mike, I could go and, and <laughs> If we do, we do that, maybe for the midweek show. How there you that? go. There you go. I like it. We're, yeah. we're going to do the midweek show later, but I will have the piano performance. Um, the, the chord I'm talking about. Cool. Um, yeah. But so those, those, I guess, were my, yeah, Christmas favorites. I like it. I, I like there. it. I, I kind of figured we'd start with you because I, I knew that you would, you would bring the class and I would bring, I would bring the crass as it were. And, and yes, that's exactly what's going to happen because I, I should start by saying, I, I used to have this tradition uh, back when there were still CDs that people bought every so, year. Actually, can I just inject wine? I'm oh, gonna oh yeah, up. please do. But I, I did, I did get to the point of the song. Um, it's, it's in the line in have your or in um, white Christmas. Uh, may your days be merry and bright. Okay. There's days merry and bright. And he yeah, I hear, he holds okay. that chord. Yep. And then below it, it drops into that, that yep. the minor. I can uh, hear the, it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's the spot to listen ahead, for, sorry. folks. No, no, not at all. So I just say I, I, I approach Christmas in a very different way. Uh, every year we used to, I used to buy uh, like an album, whatever, a CD worth of Christmas stuff back when, like I said, there were record stores selling stuff. And, and one I got, oh gosh, I, a million years ago now at this point, but it's my all time favorite Christmas album. Uh, Jay, you probably don't have a copy of it. It's Mr. Hankey's Christmas classics. Um, you probably don't, I'm guessing. Oh, I, 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 well, I am familiar with Mr. Hankey. And I also, I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't also reference the, South Park, Oh Holy Night. Um, That's a good one. Is, yeah. I mean, it's got, got Mr. Hankey, the Christmas Pooh, uh, you know, Merry Effing Christmas by Mr. Garrison and Christmas Time in Hell, which Satan sings very well, I think, actually. So uh, it's my favorite all-time album. But, uh, but I, 
when I was thinking about my favorite songs, I came up with a top five. There's a, I try to bring in some things people might not have heard, but also that kind of remind me usually of, of, of my wife and, and the time we spend together Christmas. There's a, a song called Tiny Tea, Tiny Tree Christmas by Ryan Miller that I really like. Kind of a fun, happy little song. Uh, you might have heard of Fairy Tale in New York by the Pogues. It was huge. I in, do like that. Huge yeah. in the UK, apparently, in Ireland, but not that big in the US. And talk about melancholy kind of down. If I'm talking pop Christmas songs, I would, I would definitely, that'd be go. my top and, five. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, I will admit that, yes, one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time is All I Want for Christmas is You. I don't care. I know. I know, Whoa. but I love that song. It's just, I, I love that song. I, yeah. So can I, can I throw in one more? You I, sure I, can. I don't know how many more do you have? So I, w- I would also say on my, my list of Christmas melancholy uh, would be the theme from a Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay. Christmas yeah. Time is here. I like that. Yeah. That's a good one. That sort of just sums up my mood, right? That's, sort of yeah. I, I, no, I told no. Yeah. I get like, that. Kind there's of, very much this darkness, yep. sadness about it. There's a Jay's Jay, got. Jay's got some serious darkness going on there. We're picking up on that, you know. But <laughs> so then, then I go right to my next one, which is anything but exactly. dark, right? You know, uh, Eric Cartman singing Swiss Colony Beef Log, which I I, I sing along, <laughs> I dance with the dogs. I'm very happy. It's just a wonderful song. Uh, but but actually, my top my my favorite Christmas song is one that, that you mentioned, a uh, White Christmas Otis Redding's version, which to me is just just stops me in my tracks whenever I hear it. I think it's just one of the most beautiful songs and one of the most beautiful versions ever. As far as I'm concerned, being Crosby, step aside, Otis owns that song. And uh, I am hugely biased toward Otis writing, but that to me, best Christmas song ever, even better than Swiss colony beef lock, but just by a little, bit, All right. actually. So there we go. Anyway, um, I hope listeners, you didn't mind the indulgence there. We'll have links to everything in case you're curious about some of those. I mean, how could you not be if you haven't heard Swiss Colony Beef Log? And, you know, anyway, modern Christmas classic. But also just a reminder that also, sorry, thanks to all of the folks who have donated to the show this month. We through Patreon, we had Robert, Tristan and Eric, who has been a supporter for a while, recently increased his support. And as I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, all new donations we get in December, they're going to help out Trey getting through a, a pretty tough time. So thank you very much. We really appreciate that. And as always, you know, if you want, if you want to become a supporter, you can just go to patreon.com slash politics guys on Venmo. We're at politics guys. You can support us through PayPal. You can find all the support links in the show notes every week, as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you would like to get the midweek show, but you're just not in the place where you can financially support us, totally not a problem. Send me an email, Mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get you set up with that supporters midweek show every week. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, and also I should mention uh, where we're going to be doing on the midweek show, I think some listener questions, responses that if you ever want to get in touch with us for that, you can do it through old fashioned 20th century email mail at politicsguys.com we're also on facebook and twitter we have the discord group which is always all a lot of fun for uh our patreon supporters and yes i'm talking about uh you the poopsicle and uh florida rep and the rest of the gang a lot of fun uh there certainly but and finally a special thanks as always, to our fantastic executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. We'll be back with a new episode for you. Well, I think the 27th or the 28th. We hope you'll join us.